It's wonderful that uh, we could have uh, singing together uh, again. It was good. And thank you uh, to Wendy and Megan uh, for providing that. I hope that you are encouraged uh, today, uh, wherever you are, to know that God is with you and God cares deeply for you. I'm going to use a little bit of an old illustration I've used a couple of years ago. And so if you're thinking, hey, I already know this one, I've changed it up a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to invite you to consider what it is that God's greatest desire is. And I believe that God's greatest desire is this. And I thought about that just for a moment. <laughs> Do I really know what God's greatest desire is? Can I prove it? Do I know this to be true? And I've examined the Bible, and I've uh, been looking at it for a long time, and I think that there's a strong evidence to say that God's greatest desire is to seek and save and to reconcile, to bring his creation, all of his creation, back to him. That God's greatest desire is to have his people back with him. That God's greatest desire is to see his world made new. That God's greatest desire is to seek and to save and restore. That God's greatest desire is that he would have a people who love him and worship him and celebrate him. To have a people who want to honor him with their lives. And so I'd like to tell you the story of the Bible and about God's great desire to have a life with all of us. It's a simple illustration. This chair here can represent God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was formless and it was void, and then God began forming and filling it. And God formed it and filled it with the sun and the stars and the moon, and he created order throughout all of it, giving us day and night, giving us sea and land, giving us plants and trees and fruit, giving us sea life and animal life, and giving us birds in the air. And then he formed humankind, and it says in Genesis that we are created in God's image. The exact relationship that happens in the garden is kind of difficult to know the full complexity of how God was there and with humankind. But he was there with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had a relationship with God, and then it was broken. And that broken relationship came when Adam and Eve chose sin, chose knowledge, chose their own desires, chose themselves over God. And what we have in Scripture is a great chasm that's been created where God and man are separated. And what we have in the rest of the story of Scripture is a sort of wrestling match between humankind and God to overcome the separation that has happened between man and God. 
we chose sin. The Bible tells us very clearly that everyone has sinned. Everyone has chosen themselves over God, themselves over others, that we have chosen our own interests and our own desires, that we care more about ourselves and our happiness. We care more about ourselves than God. And so we have had this wrestling match and we have this tension and this feeling of heartache and hardship. And there are a lot of people who have tried overcoming the chasm by working their way back to God. But as much as we work our way towards Him, we show ourselves over and over again to have an inability to restore our relationship with God through our own efforts, through our own righteousness, through our own good deeds, through all of the things that we try to accomplish in our own power and in our own strength. That we can't work our way back to Him. And for many, there are those who have tried working their way back to God and then there are others who have no interest in working their way back to Him. There are others who have just continued to go on living their life only for themselves, forgetful of God, ignoring His presence, ignoring His calling, and just living for themselves and for the gods of this world finding meaning in their success, finding meaning in money, finding meaning in relationships. And what they find living apart from God is that there is no satisfaction, there's no completeness, there's no joy. And so so we have this mess, and we have our God. Our God who created life, who created order, who created goodness and grace and love, who created all of his creation, humankind included, and he desires to be with us, to restore all of his creation and restore a life with us. And so it starts back in the book of Genesis, and it's Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, we have Abraham given a promise, and God gives this promise to Abraham and he says I will be your God and you will be my people that I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations and so God starts a plan and he says Abraham you have to go to the land that I'm giving you I'm giving you this promised land and you need to go and pursue it and Abraham believed God and Hebrews says it was credited to him as righteousness that Abraham believed in God and he trusted in the promise And I'm going to fast forward through quite a bit of scripture and quite a few ups and downs in the life of Abraham. But Abraham would have a son, and his son would be Isaac. And he would uh, uh, would become Israel, and Israel would have have, um, many children, and many more children, and a nation would be born through the line of Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob. And God would start this plan where he would move himself into the neighborhood. And God would lead the Israelites. The Israelites would find themselves in a mess. They'd be held captive for 400 years in Egypt. And they would cry out to God and they would remind him, you know, we, we are your people in your special possession. Please show us that you 
are there and redeem us. And God sends Moses, and Moses delivers the Israelites. And God works in mighty ways. And he lives among the people. And he leads the Israelites through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And God would come and he would make his presence with them. They would tabernacle with him. They would have a temple in which they would draw near to God and they would worship him. And God keeps inching his way closer and closer. And then there is a child born. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. And this Word became flesh. This Word, this Son of God, the Son of Man, became Jesus Christ, and He was God with us, God, Emmanuel, and He was fully here, and He was fully God, and He was fully man. And suddenly... God and humankind were together again. And God would spend time with them and he would eat with them. And he would share with them and he would encourage them and he would love them and he would challenge them and he would preach to them and he would listen to them. God was there with them. And there came a time when Jesus said to his disciples, I am leaving, but I'm coming back. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And the disciples, they didn't take it very well. Peter said, okay, uh, uh, you're leaving? Well, we're going to go with you. And Jesus says, Peter, well, where I'm going, you can't go with me. And Peter says, well, I'm going with you, and I'm, I'll die with you. Jesus says, no, you're, you're, you're not. In fact, you're going to deny me. And he doesn't believe it. And there's others. And Philip says, well, you know, if you would just show us the Father. Show us the Father and, and we'll know and we'll know the way. And Jesus says, well, I've already shown you the way of the Father. I've shown you the Father to be with me, to see me, to hear me, to listen to me, is to see the Father, to know the Father. And the disciples are challenged and perplexed by this in John 14. They don't, they don't understand. And it's almost like Jesus saying, weren't you there with me? Didn't you see the Father? Didn't you see the Father when I fed the thousands and I broke the bread and I fed it to the people? Didn't you see that as God breaking bread and giving manna to the Israelites in the wilderness? Didn't you see me providing for you just as the Father provided for his people? And didn't you see the Father didn't you see the Father when I healed the man who was born blind? Didn't you see the Father in the tears of the women when I raised their brother Lazarus from the dead? And didn't you see the Father when I served you and I washed your feet? 
Didn't you see the Father when I forgave those who have sinned? Jesus says, to see me is to see the Father. To be with me is to know the Father. And so we have God the Son revealing the Father to the world. We have God with us. Jesus says, I am going. And what he's saying is, is that what we've decided is that we don't want him here. That the world decided that it was better that we were left on our own. We'll choose a life without God. And Jesus was crucified. And Jesus was buried. That we had God with us. We had Emmanuel with us. And the world rejected him. The world didn't like what they saw. The world didn't like his challenge. What is it that we didn't like about God that this was the justification to reject him and turn from him? He was showing us the loving presence of the Father and the world rejected it all over again. Jesus says, I'm leaving. But then he also said, I'm coming back. He said, I'm coming back. And I think that that will give us enough preparation to hear what he tells his disciples. If you love me, Keep my commands. This is John 14, 15. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives. He lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. That whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now and let us leave. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Back in verse 12, Jesus says, or verse 11, we'll start there, believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples, he tells all who are following him that we are not orphans, that he will not leave us alone That God's great desire is that he would have a life with us and we would have a life with him. And John 14 wants to pull back all of the curtain that has hid uh, the heart of God, the Father, and revealed that he has desired all this time to restore the great chasm and bring a life together with him. And this Christ Jesus whom we crucified is Lord and King and Savior and He reigns and He has sent His Spirit to be with us and in us and we are not orphaned children. To the point where we have a Father who loves us and cares so deeply for us and Jesus has sent His Spirit to remind us of everything that He's taught us. And so one of the challenges might be to remind ourselves that we need to be taught by Christ, that we need to listen to his word, that his spirit would bring it out within us. But also this incredible encouragement that God will actually hear and answer our prayers, that whatever we ask for in the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, will be answered. I was really challenged by this prayer, by this encouragement to pray. Because so many times I think, God, why aren't you answering this? And maybe I am asking God to fulfill things that will glorify myself. Consider the humility of Christ who gives his life and we need for the glory of the Father. It's an invitation to follow Jesus, to give of ourselves and pour ourselves out in prayer and honest petition that God would be glorified with our lives. 
God may not grant our prayers to make our life easy and without trouble, but he will answer prayers where our trouble will become praise. Or our trouble and our hardship and our grief and our sorrow that we will take to God and we can know that he hears our prayers and God will be glorified. There's this really challenging thing in our text and it starts where Jesus says that we will do the works of the Father, that the disciples will go on and carry out the mission, that God will give his spirit to his disciples and they will go out and do great works, even greater works than what Jesus himself did. Now, I've read the gospel a few times, and what I see Jesus doing in the gospels is a lot of really cool, fun things. Restoring sight to the blind, awesome. Walking on water, even cooler. Like, really, if you had that, I would love to do that all the time, right? He's feeding the thousands. He's restoring sight to the blind. He's raising Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus says, you are going to do even greater works than I've done. I haven't done any of those things, and so I'm wondering what the greater works are. Because I believe it to be true, and I, I wrestle with this, and I wonder, what, what is it, the greater things that disciples are going to be doing? And I think it's pretty clear what happens in the book of Acts is the greater things that Jesus was talking about. Because the greatest miracle that we know of is God restoring, redeeming, and saving people, saving lives, saving souls, calling people back to Him. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle of the Bible is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laying down His life. And the greatest miracles will come by those who believe that Jesus gave his life to seek and save and restore and renew. To redeem and call people back to God. And we see in the Gospel of Acts the work of the disciples. In chapter 1, we see the Spirit descend and Jesus says, you go and be my witnesses. Go and share the story. Go into Jerusalem and go into Judea and to Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Go and be my witnesses and tell the story. And the Spirit descends and Peter begins to preach. And he preaches so that every ear, in a way that every ear can hear in their own native language, the gospel story the story of hope and salvation, the very story that I've told you now, that Jesus came, was crucified and resurrected, and he is Lord and King, and he is the Savior of the world. And Jesus preaches this message that the Spirit of God is poured out. And the people say, what is it that we need to do? What is our response? What do we need to know and do? And Peter says, it's time now to repent. It's time now to return to God, to give your heart to God, to give your life to Him, to turn all that you are back to God. Repent. 
and seek first the kingdom of God. Turn your life over to God's will, no longer about you and what you want, but about Christ and His will and His Spirit in you. Repent and turn and be baptized. Be immersed, be lowered in the water and raised in Christ. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were baptized, many thousands of them. Again, I've looked over the Gospels and I've, I've looked at through quite a few times and I don't remember a single sermon where Jesus baptized thousands of people. And in one great act and in one powerful moment in the Spirit of God, the disciples did the greater work. Thousands of people came and gave their lives to God. One after the other forgiven and given the Holy Spirit. One right after the other. The greatest work that a disciple will do is save the soul of another. To tell people that Jesus is Lord and King, that He's the Savior of the world, that He loves them and gave His life for them. That you can have life and life in his kingdom under the reign of Christ. And that you no longer live for ourselves, but we live our lives to God. To live is to live in Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. And those people who have given their lives to Jesus. He says to them, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Peace is a relationship. Peace is wholeness. Peace is the brokenness healed. Peace is the forgiveness of our sins. Peace is a life with God and knowing that he is with us and he cares deeply for us. Jesus gives us this peace. And unfortunately, as we look at the world, we know that this world does not give peace. It gives brokenness, and hardship, and more separation. And Christ comes that we may have life, and life in his name, life in his spirit. And Paul says that if we have the same spirit, we have that same spirit that Christ Jesus had that raised him from the dead, that same powerful spirit is alive and in you, believer. And so I know that you are hurting. I know that you are sad and lonely and all of these emotions and all of these things that this tension of this broken world has brought on us. And God wants us to know that his spirit has not departed us. That his spirit is still with us and in us and guiding us and helping us. We have all faced great brokenness and sadness, great grief and sorrow, but God's Spirit has not departed. You are not orphaned. God is with us. 
And so if God is with us, how shall we pray? And if God says he's going to answer our prayers that will glorify him, how should we be praying? And if God tells us that he will remind us of everything that he's taught us, what should we be teaching and sharing? And how can we tell the world about what Christ has done in us and for us and through us? How can we tell the world that Christ is alive and that he is king? And that the world, though it is broken, he offers a peace in this world. Let the scriptures be impressed on your heart and reminded in your soul and come out of your mouth that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth would speak and your mouth would tell the world that Christ is Lord and King. You are not orphaned children. Jesus left and he came back by sending his spirit and Jesus he's still going to come back even more and God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit will be with us and he will make his home with us and that gift is for those who believe who give their lives to Christ who commit their lives to him and obey his teaching Jesus says, I will make a home with them. I don't know where you're listening to this, what's going on in your life, where you're at with God, but I want to tell you that he wants to make a home with you. That the great desire of God is to have a home with his children. Do you want to have a home with him? Are you open to this spirit? Are you open to Christ? Will you put your trust in him? Will you pray with a greater sense of urgency for our times? Will you share the testimony of your faith and who Christ is? Will you let a neighbor know that Christ loves them and cares deeply for them? Will you teach and impress upon your children that God loves and cares for them every day? Will you love your spouse and care for them? Will you teach them and help them to know that the Spirit of God is with you and that the Spirit of God is with them? That we are not alone and we do not need to be afraid we can trust in God and trust also in Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Will you go to Jesus? Will you listen to him and open your hearts to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Continue to lead us as your children to know that we are not alone and we have no reason to be afraid of death, of brokenness, of the things of this world. To know, God, that your spirit is with us and your spirit faced off against the greatest enemy, against the greatest sorrow, against the greatest suffering, and your spirit proved more powerful than what is in this world. 
And that spirit, Lord, you have sent to your children. And so comfort us and strengthen us and help us to know in the midst of our grief and our sorrow and the brokenness that we are enduring, God, that you would lift us up, that we would no longer be afraid. We are not lost and wandering children, orphaned from the Father. We are loved, and we are treasured, and we are drawn to you. Remind us of our identity. Remind us of your promises to hear our prayers, to honor our prayers, to minister to our hearts and our souls. Remind us, Lord, of your promises that we will do even greater works than your disciples, or than you yourself, uh, Lord, did through your son Jesus, that we can share with others the gospel, that we could win souls for your son, for your glory, for your honor. And so we turn our hearts to you, and we ask for your healing and your help, that you would lead us, Lord, back to you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you are a part of our church family, I hope that you will continue to study and encourage and build one another up in love. Read all of John 14. Read Acts 1 and Acts 2. Read Romans chapter 8. Be encouraged by Christ and his spirit and what God is doing in this world. And if you are not a part of our church family, I know this is weird. I know that it's, it's hard and it's, it's different. But when we are able to be back together physically, you will appreciate what we are spiritually. A people sold out for Christ and what he's done people who have given our hearts and our allegiance and devotion and our worship and all that we are to him because he gave everything for us. If you want to be a part of a church family, the way you belong to our church family is the way we see scripture laying it out, that we believe in Christ as the Son of God, that we confess him as our Lord and our Savior that we baptize, we baptize one another in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we become a part of a church body, the body of Christ, a community of people who confess Jesus as Lord, who live in His Spirit and love and care for one another. From time to time, we need those reminders to love and encourage we need them more today than probably ever before. We want to love and encourage you and welcome you into our family. We want to welcome you into God's family. No one has to be orphaned in this world. For a father sent his son to give you eternal life. May God bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. And give you his rest and his peace. May God watch over you and your family. And may you know that Jesus is Lord and King. God bless.